This morning we're going to be in Revelation chapter 20. If you take your Bibles and, tur- Bibles and turn there, I'll have you stand in just a moment, continuing our study in the Apocalypse and uh, winding our way down to its conclusion. My intent is to preach through chapter 20 this morning. I had originally thought I might do two chapters, but I felt like um, I could conclude this in one more sermon, uh, 21 and 22, talking about the future earth and the future heaven. And so uh, today, chapter 20. We all ready? All right, let me ask you to stand this morning. We'll get right to our text. The title of the message today is Man's Last Day in Court. Verse number one of chapter 20 of the book of Revelation. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he, the angel, laid hold on that dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. The Bible goes on now um, and says, And when the thousand years were expired, Satan, verse 7, be loose out of the prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, which at this time are just words for those who are unbelievers, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And that's amazing to me that after the millennial kingdom and the reign of Christ, that the heart of man is so corrupt, he can still be turned really in perfection. Verse 9, And they went up on the breadth of the earth, and compassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city, Jerusalem, and fire came down from God out of heaven, and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and from it him that sat on it, and whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. That's a fascinating phrase, um, because I don't think it's necessarily metaphorical. I think it's something that actually happens at this time. And there was no found, no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered them up, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. 
This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Our Heavenly Father, I pray in the next few moments, as Lord, we consider this familiar and yet, Lord, very sobering text. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that you could help us to, Lord, to grasp what you intended from the text. Lord, that it would motivate us and inspire us as, as you intended. Lord, to be ready for that day, to think about that day. And so, Lord, I just pray the next few moments you'd use this, check, this text, the Holy Spirit, Lord, to change our hearts. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for standing. I want you to imagine um, something with me this morning. Um, I want you to imagine a world minus any bad news. Wouldn't that be awesome? You know, if you turn on one of the channels, news stations, and all they were reporting are the good things happening in our community and the blessings, you know, of, of, the, of the Lord around us. And just a world that had no bad news, no negative coverage. How about this? A world where there was no conflict. Um, I want you to imagine a world that's uh, dominated by goodness, not corruption. It's dominated by kindness and grace and not, you know, Machiavellianism and self-seeking. I want you to imagine a place where fairness and righteousness reign and where government and education and commerce have truly in view human good at their aim. I want you to imagine with me a place um, of peace and joy and fairness where those words describe the human condition instead of, you know, all the things that describe our world by the news we watch, you know, today. I want you to imagine Eden reborn. The world made in much the way it was when God originally created it. Eden reborn, a pristine environment, no pollution, um, where the lion, and, and, and nature so transformed, the Bible tells us the lion and the lamb are not an enmity. They can actually lie together. These conditions, in part, describe the future, and in my opinion, imminent uh, you know, initiation of the millennial reign. This is a time when the Lord Jesus Christ Himself shall come from heaven, to rule and reign once again upon this earth, this time not as the Lamb of God, but rather as the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is something that will be a reality one day, a 1,000, a 1,000 year reign of Christ ruling this world and transforming it by His rule, where political and religious and the temple of the world all come together under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. In our text, the time for the arrival of this kingdom is in view. This is the place that we're moving to now, describing uh, humanity's future beyond this existence we've known, the seven years of tribulation and all its heartache and pain. God in judgment has rained down three sets of judgments upon the earth. The apocalyptic events of the seven years of the great tribulation, they are now over. Jesus, as we described last week, and the host of heaven come from heaven through a portal 
to our earth. And you know I like this part. We're all riding on white horses. And these are the king's horses, not just horses of purity, but these are the king's horses, horses that belong to the king. This is an army assembled by Christ. And we are prepared in that great day of battle to do uh, war with the lost and furious last rebellion of mankind uh, on this earth. Uh, the armies of the world, Babylon, Rome is now destroyed. Much of the earth lies in decimation. But there is still yet this great uh, gathering of nations around the world in this plain of Babel that, is, that would accommodate this. It's an amazing thing. And at this time, the earth will be transfigured in a way as well. And so imagine Christ coming down, we, the Old Testament saints, the martyr saints, coming with the Lord to do battle with earth's last army, all the gathered forces of darkness standing against all the gathered forces of light. Pretty grand, but there's not a battle. There's really no battle. You know, we, we love the thought because the army's there, but there's, there's no battle. You, using his tongue as a sword, Jesus comes, and you got to remember this is the this is not just the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but this is the Creator of the universe. And He speaks a word. He just speaks. And the armies of man and of Satan are decipated in a moment. An incredible destruction occurs. There is no war. As Christ descends, He utters a word, and all the Calvary of Satan is decimated and destroyed. The rule and reign of Satan now comes to an abrupt end in this instance. The dead are assigned now. Those slain in the Valley of Armageddon, those who had recently died, they are assigned in the place of Sheol or of hell. And, and God gathers those who remain of those who survived through the millennial reign, who had not the mark of the beast, who did not take that on their forehead or hands. And God now begins to usher them towards Jerusalem to reign with Him, with us uh, from there for a thousand years. The age of humanity that we have known for all of our life is now over and Christ becomes King. So Christ makes His way to Jerusalem where He has set up this earthly kingdom. And, and this is a moment of reality that will occur for those who know Christ. For us here today, thrones will be given. I don't understand this will work or how God will set up His government, uh, but He'll set up responsibilities and rewards for those who've served Him. And you and I will walk in that day with Him, having a place of judgment, a place of leadership, a place of responsibility, a, a place of privilege. And we'll be assigned those along with the Old Testament states, all of us in the New Testament church, and of course the martyrs in the tribulation. And so this is the context of chapter 20 today. So if you begin to look at me now a little more closely in verse number 1, we'll re just re review these very quickly and make a simple application. The Bible says, yet another angel. And my guess, and it would be only that, would be possibly Michael, who has done battle with Satan before. The Bible says, now an angel comes and condemns, chains uh, Satan, Lucifer, the the adversary of God for so many years. He carries with him the key to the bottomless pit, and carrying the key, that means he would open it and then he would close it behind Satan. So the angel comes with that. And what the Bible describes in the understatement, you know, a great chain, a chain capable 
of restraining Satan in this place of hell for a thousand years, the final long-awaited day of all the Old Testament saints and the church of God and the martyrs is that Jesus Christ now comes and does away with spiritual evil. It's done. The devil, his influence, his lies, his deception, all the billboards, the false advertising, the thing on, you know, on social media describing a life apart from God can be great, all that's gone. Evil, infinite evil is locked away for a thousand years. He takes hold of Satan and he casts him into this abyss, allowing Christ, and this is important, to rule for a thousand years minus an outside negative spiritual influence. And I'll talk about this in a moment if we've already read. We'll find out in time, even this environment, mankind, because of corruption of heart, you know, struggles to serve God. But now comes to our planet, a somewhat transformed planet by the return of Christ, as we have studied. The rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. This rule and reign is described in uh, many pages of the Word of God. And here we are simply given a very distilled and grand view of what this world will look like. It describes a world of a thousand years with Christ reigning, uh, concluding minus any work of Satan in the world. And here's the indictment. We would, you and I can think, well, if we were just given everything, you know, perfectly, if life was great, we would have no struggle. We would serve the Lord. And yet that is not true because of the corruption of our heart. There here in the text is an incredible indictment upon the human heart and the, and the depth of its depravity. Because even in this kingdom, which believe, initiates with only believers, and of course we've glorified bodies, we've been redeemed, but those believers who walk through here, all forgiven, believers only, who begin the millennial reign, that even in this new world, this new Eden, the one that I ask you to imagine, man's heart, mankind's heart still cannot be content, and evil has still not been eradicated in our own hearts. And that is part of the reason of the little kingdom, God proving beyond a shadow of a doubt our depravity, even minus the influence of Satan. And the text describes the end of a thousand years. I, this, is, this is, it's amazing. Jesus Christ leading, Jesus Christ ruling, Jesus Christ uh, having righteous judgments, in other words, He's doing what's right. But as people begin to multiply the earth once again, that's not enough for people. And the sinful condition of humanity gets worse and worse. And it concludes at the end of the thousand years once again with Satan now being let loose to deceive this fomented crowd already into another frenzy to stand against Christ in a doomed and failed effort. Satan comes and organizes one last human rebellion. And just like he did in his second coming, he overthrows them with the word. In the same way the world was overflowing the flood by the waters, the same way that the fires of heaven came down from Sodom and Gomorrah, the same way that Christ had just destroyed the armies of Armageddon, the flames of God come down yet one more time, destroy this, these gathered armies, the end of the millennial kingdom, once and for all. And then it begins. Now begins man's final judgment. We're at the end. Like we're at the end. And God comes, sets up a stone, a, a throne, establishes it. 
And He brings humanity, not just for that age, but for all ages, into judgment. And at the same time, and these things are fascinating, the age is ending. We've had all the days of the Old Testament, all the days of the New Testament. We've had the days of the New Testament church. We've had the tribulation. We've had the thousand-year reign. It's done. History is over. And God does more than just redeem us. But He chooses, and He has chosen, to uncreate the world. In the text, the Bible tells us that when this throne is set up, that the heavens and the earth, they flee. Okay? Now, if you take a solid object and it flees, what's going to happen to it? It's done. It, this thing is over. God, just as easily as He spoke everything it is out of nothingness, He now takes everything that is minus His children and, and, and these eternal souls, and He returns it from the nothingness from which it began. Uncreation. Peter describes this for us, and uh, this idea of uncreation, and that there will be a fervent heat, and that the elements, and I, this is so great for, for science nerds, <laughs> is that literally the elements, the atoms of life, they, they melt away. And that's really accurate, because if you take an atom and you break it, you get a kind of fire. You get what we would call not just any explosion, but you get a nuclear explosion. And this cosmic nuclear explosion, releasing infinite amount of energy, happens in a moment at the judgment seat of Christ. Heaven and earth flee, it's scattered, it's broken. In preparation in the chapter to come for God to build a great, fantastic, new, big heaven and earth where we will rule and reign from Him. It's an incredible moment. It's, it's an amazing time um, when God brings man to judgment. He begins to introduce to us a place called the Lake of Fire. Lake of Fire is a different place than what we might call hell. It's a different place than the Old Testament knew as Sheol or the grave. This is the end of all fires. This is the end of all punishment. This is the end of, of, of everything that contains any element of God and or His grace. This is the absence of all of that. The lake of fire, some place outside of our universe, as the cosmic order is destroyed. For it exists, we know, after the uncreated world. This is a place, the place that we would call hell. I can't, you know, as much as I'd like to eloquently um, scare you, and I don't even mean that in a negative way. We ought to be afraid and scared. Um, because this is, this is, it's, it's the, the ultimate absence of God. It's the place of utter darkness, of fire and brimstone, of wailing and gnashing of teeth, sorrow and torment without end. The opposite of what was sung earlier, always hope. That's gone. It's a place that God never intended for anyone to go. God does not condemn and send man to this evil place. Man sends himself. 
someone's asked a question, you know, how, how, can, how can a God who's so good send people to a hell? Well, he doesn't. All he tries to do is rescue us from it. You see, when man fell and followed Satan, deception, imperfection, sin was born in our hearts. That destined us. You know, the wages of death, you know, is, the wages of sin is death. And not just physical death, which we all are experiencing, but a second death. A resurrection not into life, but a resurrection into eternal torment. And God simply, the whole Bible, from the pages of Genesis to the book of Revelation, is about God intervening Himself into our world, trying to alter our destiny that's already been set. God is trying in His mercy and love to provide a way for whosoever will to avoid this fate. So in verse number 11, immediately following Satan's eternal banishment to the place I have just described that was really made for him, the place of God's final act of jurisprudence is now about to take place on his throne. In my understanding, this is the final time that God will ever have to act as judge again. So we're in a place and a time here, unlike anything the Creator has ever seen or will ever know again. Heaven and earth decimated, the great white throne, and all the assembled dead who died minus the knowledge of Christ and God will be gathered. An incredibly unholy assembly. It'll be different. In this place, there will be only guilt. There will be no innocence. This will be a place where there's a prosecutor, but there's no longer an advocate. There's no longer a defender. This is a place of indictment. There's no defense. This is a place where evidence will be presented and there'll be no rebuttal or cross-examination. In this time and place, there'll be one judge and no jury. There'll be one sentence with no appeal. There will be guilt without any possibility of parole. And in this place that's so grand, so amazing, so pure, with so much unholiness, the heavens and the earth, they, they, they flee away. The uncreation. The universe returns to the nothingness that it was before God created it. The heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. And the earth also, in its works, its history, will they'll be dissolved, they'll be burned. And in this place, Christ sits on this judgment throne, the epicenter of what now is. And in an equally supernatural act, he gathers the lost souls of history. Okay. That's why the Bible, it's what it's trying to describe in this poetic language. All those died in the plains of Armageddon. They died a physical death. They were spirit and soul too. And these things are reunited now before God. They're reunited before God. And then just, just like we look for the rapture, all, 
all the bodies out of the sea, from the land, God reassembles the stand before the throne with the soul, the eternal soul. So if you don't know Christ today, you know, in, no matter what happens to you in the future, you're going to be there like this. You're going to be there in some form. And they're gathered there to face their final condemnation. And I don't, I just, this imagery is amazing. And so, okay, God, the people assembled, forgive the, the metaphor right there, the illustration. And he has a book. And then he has another one right beside it, two books. The one we know, we're familiar with, called the Book of Life. And uh, when I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, when I recognized my sins, when I understood, and I cried out to God to forgive me because I, I, I understood He took my hell. He took, He did, He, he paid for my sins. The way He just said, still death, and He took my death instead of me taking it. When I accepted Christ as Savior, my name was written in indelible ink into that book. That's a real book in a real place with real names written in it. And I'm telling you, based on the authority of the Word of God, my name is in it. And that's pretty cool. There's another book, and uh, my name's not in that one. And I'm so grateful. There's not a specific name for this book, but it's the, the book that retains, contains all the deeds of my life and yours. And great detail. Now see, you can either have Troy Rail written in one book and nothing in the other, or your name can be absent, the book of life, and more information than you can possibly imagine is written in that one. And God opens these two books. It's a formality, but it's right, it's just. And He begins to go down through human history for all those who've trusted in themselves, who forfeited, that, listen to me, chose not the offer of salvation. This, this isn't just what they did. This is mostly about what they failed to do. This is about what they failed to do. They made a wrong choice. And it is that choice that God now is choosing to judge. My choice I, I, I have no hope. God, I, there's nothing I can do. I am pleading the blood of Christ. I, I trust in you. I know that you are. I know that you saved me. My trust in what happens, what, in what happens for me after I do that. In fact, that Christ saved me. No merit of my own. Everyone else here is judged out of, well, I tried to be good. Or I really didn't care. I didn't even think there, this day would ever would happen. Or I, I heard, I heard, I had the opportunity to be saved, and I, I didn't. These books were open, and literal records are rehearsed somehow in a way that mankind is judged from them. Man standing before God, naked and alone, with their own merit. You don't want to be there. That's the place, and we don't want anyone else to be there. It'll be found that all of their righteousness will be as filthy rags, and that minus the blood of Christ atoned for their sins, they are now hopeless and defenseless. 
And God will reaffirm, now looking into the book of life, and affirm that their names are not written there. And then in an incomprehensible moment of terror, as humanity realizes there's no more escape, it's doom and fate, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But for them it's too late. The soul of every age will now join Satan in the eternal lake of fire. This is the end forever and ever without end. Time and reality, we know it is done. The universe has been uncreated. Human history is over. And God begins all things new. And it's going to be fun to describe what the new heaven and new earth are like. You know, it's, it, it's a heavy text. You know, the, the idea of eternal torment. And yet Jesus talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. In the entire purpose of everything written in this book, in his, his, his incarnation was to keep us from that reality and to give us what he wanted, reconciliation, home with him, a right relationship. It's what Christianity is about. The realization we are sinners and desperately need God. You know, I, I could attempt to belabor the scene, but the Bible itself here keeps pretty brief. And I could appeal to you to avail yourself of this moment to escape this ultimate outcome for humanity. And I, I, I am encouraging you to confess your sins and be right with God and not among this crowd. But I'm not that eloquent. And I believe the Holy Spirit's conviction is sufficient for that task. But let me instead um, offer something a little more reachable for the majority of us who are saved today. A principle and a truth from the text. And I think this application has, it can result in so many things in our life. Okay, this is, this is not profound, but I want you to think about it. You will always get, in the end, what you choose. And I want you to think about that for a moment. You always get, in the end, what you choose. See, the text presents these books. And, you know, Brother, Brother Allen, your entire life history would be there. And the Bible describes this in the book of Colossians. Every, you know, the handwriting of the ordinances against us, the book of Colossians says. See, for those who are saved, that gets washed away. But for those who doesn't wash away, it's still there. The handwriting of the ordinances against us. And all of us would have a lot of scribbling on that paper. Would we not? Okay. So, you know, we can, we can look at this. Well, this is the sum, uh, you know, accumulation of a, of a thousand, you know, of a lifetime, and, and it is. But ultimately, what separates the sheep and the goats, those who go into the millennial reign, reign with Christ, and those who go to the lake of fire, is really just this. It's a choice. And it's the result of that choice. You and I are equally sinners. And the guy in the street over here, in his worst condition, him and I were the same. 
You know, what separates us spiritually is a decision that maybe I have made that he hasn't. But I, I tell you this, any other blessings in my life have been because of the choice I've made to trust Christ too. But the judgment day, this great white throne is about those who said no. So here's the thing. In the end, man always gets what he chooses. That's why in the book of Deuteronomy, choose life, choose life, choose life. New Testament, you come, receive, you believe, trust. It's, a, it's one big, long invitation to make the right decision. We look at what in heaven, we know there's a God, and there's a created order. If, if a man would begin there, but with all my heart, he'd receive enough light to be saved in time. He'd come to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Life and all of its years are about making that choice. So today, I'd, I'd ask you, everyone assembled here together, have you made, what is your choice? I, I'm making it binary. I'm not, your whole life, have you trusted Christ or not? Because that's everything on this day. That's the pivot. That is the cross. That is the crux. That's where truth and mercy meet. I come to church, be faithful. We can talk about all the reasons to serve God in that way. The question you know, for today, this text is, where are you going to be? Where are you going to be on that day? Where's your name going to be? See, here's the deal. You know, life can be scary and things can happen. But if your name's written in that book, you're okay. And it's there because the choice you made to trust Christ and take in His Word to receive the offer of salvation, to be rescued from your destiny. But if it's not there, it's because of the refusal to make the choice. It's just not so much even the presence of evil, it's the absence of the good choice you could make of the opportunity. You need to get that squared away today. But let's just break down just a little bit more and we'll be done. The application runs for all of our life. Your choices have consequences. Is that fair? Young people, I, I pray for you. If I could posit a reality, a truth in you is the choices you make right now can follow you your entire life. It can position you into a, a, a better, happier life. Or even when bad things come to, to navigate those correctly, or you can go someplace else because your decisions have consequences. And it does for all of us, doesn't it? Today. And so we need to be careful about the choices we're making. They're taking us somewhere. The most important one is taking us to heaven or taking us to hell. But all of our decisions are taking us somewhere. And, and so the, the appeal that's as frequent or even more so than after making that decision is this decision to trust Christ, to follow Christ. Because all the choices made there too will alter the destiny in the course of your life. Good choices beget good things and bad choices beget really bad things. We have a responsibility, you know, to make the right choices in life. I want to ask you to stand with me if you would.